Hey everyone, and welcome to the True Strength Podcast. My name is Daniel, and here, my fellow co-hosts Zach and I talk about being productive and taking care of yourself. Fundamentally, we believe these are important aspects of true strength. All right, welcome back to part three of the Christian Coffee Mug Saying series. Yeah, so starting off, we're going to be talking about uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, uh, where Jesus says, judge not that you will not be judged. And I feel like this isn't necessarily like so much as a Christian coffee mug saying, because it just gets confused a lot with people never willing to do what Jesus has called us to do, or we get to the point where we just start judging people right off the bat, and then the church or Christians as a whole get a whole lot of criticism. Because Jesus talks about how to call people out and how to, and how to do that in Matthew 18, uh, starting in verse 15. Um, where he says, okay, this is what you do. You, you bring, um, you, you find the person you want to call out and you do so privately one-on-one. And then you do two-on-one where you have someone as your witness, not as a person like two-on-one, like a two people arguing against one person. You have one person trying to explain to another person what they're doing. And then you have that third person as your witness for what's going on. And then after that, you bring it to like a leader of the church and you go from there. But that's, that's the key that you kind of have to remember there is kind of where you're ending up. But the whole thing is supposed to be meant for people who are in the church. So people who are playing by church rules, so to speak. And I say rules because the example that I always think of is the, like in sports, like you don't call someone in football for traveling. You do that in basketball. Right. They're we're, just completely different ball games. Yeah. We're, we're, so if we're to make that analogy, like continue on to actual life, um, the life that Christians would lead versus people who are non-Christians, they're playing by a completely different set of rules, a completely different set of parameters, or they're they're living their the way they have their identity is set in something completely different, and so the way that we would go about that is 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 completely different. So that's I think that's where a lot of the confusion stems from. Um, so. Yeah, so if someone's not Christian, then there's no reason for us to call them out on things that are um, Christian beliefs or Christian teachings that we just, we have no reason to do so. We can show them all the love and kindness um, that Jesus has shown us, but there's there's no grounds for judging people in, in another sense or holding people to a standard that they're, they don't even want to live to. Um, the next one is Matthew 18, verse 20, so a little bit past 1815, where it says, For where two or three gathered in my name, there I am with them. Yeah, this kind of is stemming off of, well, I mean, it, it exactly stems off of Matthew 18, uh, verse 15, where Jesus talks about, okay, this is how you call people out in the church. Uh, this is essentially Jesus at the end saying, I'm going to be witness. Like, if you have those two people there because Jewish the Jewish audience would understand from the book of Deuteronomy when you have two or more people gathered then you then you have witnesses for more of a legal purpose right he's not talking about if you want to worship in private I am all for that like as an excuse to miss church or something like that I think that's how a lot of people use this verse or that yeah just that he won't be there if there's only if there's if there's just one person I think the most the most obvious or example that we could like immediately turn to or like pull up the one that we looked up on the internet the fastest uh, was Psalm 139 verse 7 
which says, from where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Um, our God is an omnipresent, omniscient, and God. And so there's there's nothing you can really do to get away from him in that sense. Which is very reassuring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there is that. It kind of actually ties into some of the other stuff that we're going to talk about later. Um, but for you to say those things about God in the book of Psalms and then immediately turn to Matthew and, and cite contradiction, I think is, um, I, I can see the grounds for it, but the context of Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17 is uh, pretty clear what Jesus is talking about as far as the whole context. Uh, but I can totally see the confusion. It does take some time to wrap a head around that. We also have something that we've kind of talked about before, but we wanted to mention it again because, I mean, it, it comes up a lot. And it's in Psalm 37, verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The whole premises of this one is, I think, what happens first versus what happens. You have to, like, you have to consider what happens in the first half of the verse before you consider the second half of the verse. Like, take delight in the Lord. Cherish the Lord. Um... And then he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, the desires of your heart are going to be different when you start cherishing and desiring the Lord. You're going to become a new person. You're going to be different than you were before. You're going to start wanting what aligns with his will. And that's why he'll provide for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I loved what um, this pastor once said. I think I believe his name is Mark Clark. Um, the belief in God doesn't save us. It's cherishing. It's the delight in him that that's what save us because like the demons believe in him they believe that jesus rose from the dead they believe all those things they were there of course they believe but they don't cherish it and so we can't make the same mistake of just believing in god or saying my belief in god is what saves me and i think that's a phrase or just a statement that a lot of christians fear just because there are so many times when people believe or feel like they're not as close to God as they want to be. And just hearing that is a good wake-up call. Yeah, it is. All right, moving on, though, to our other point, which is that when God closes a door, he opens a window. That saying or statement is kind of predicting God's will. His will kind of. isn't for us to know fully. So if he takes away an opportunity from someone... There's no guarantee he's going to give someone another opportunity in the same regard. Yeah, I think my main problem with this saying is that I just never was able to find the scriptural backing to say that when God takes something away from you, he's going to give you this in return. I mean, um, there are examples of that happening, but that doesn't mean it applies to everyone. Yeah, I I, I think really, yeah, I, you're right. Um there are examples of, of something like that happening. Like um, when Paul is on his missions trip, like quite literally one of the greatest missionaries of all time is on a missions trip and he keeps running into roadblock, into roadblock, into roadblock. And then he finally finds where he's supposed to go. But even then he had to wait for a couple months before he actually found where he was supposed to go. Like where he was trying, he found he was supposed to go to, I think Macedon or something like that. And, uh, then finally he found out, but he was, he, he didn't know where to go. He kept getting stopped by the spirit or Job. Like he had all these problems, but you know, then he was blessed in the end. I think 
I think maybe that's my other problem with the saying is like it has the causation factor that's instantaneous yes so it's like okay door closed window immediately opens yeah because it's saying when god closes the door he will open a window his timing is perfect and that might mean it's not instantaneous yeah unfortunately i mean yeah sometimes it just just means being on the grinder for a while and yeah no it's just there's just no scriptural backing that i can i can really find i mean we I, I suppose you could talk about like jeremiah 29 verse 11 which um if we look up is for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future but even that is w- w- kind of what we talked about with uh the earlier verse in psalms which is take delight in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart um that's that's the that's the plan that that the lord has for us but the plan is so isn't is isn't just limited to our life here on earth it's it's eternity and as we are becoming more around him and being more like him then that's that's going to change us as as people it's not like the whole prosperity gospel thing where it's like oh well you're going to get this and this and all this material i mean god takes material wealth from from people all the time because it's material he knows it's not important another great quote by mark clark that really kind of rocked my world he said something along the lines of god cares far more about the message than the messenger like he cares about the messenger but the messenger is already saved and going to be in heaven the message is what's going to save more people and bring them closer to god so that the messenger comes and go but the message the message is what has the power to to change lives and do things that's why you can i think that's one of the most comforting and most scary things out there because it means it it feels so terrible to think wow i feel so insignificant but at the same time that means that you in all of your terribleness and all of your imperfection it, it doesn't matter about that. The power is in the message. You don't have to worry about that. And um, I think one of the greatest examples of these is the Bible, right? The disciples of Jesus were, many of them were martyrs. They were, they were killed for what they believed and what they taught. But the Bible and what they wrote and the teachings lived on until today. Yeah, and they weren't any special people. I mean, like, they were a bunch of fishermen. And tax like collectors. Fishermen, yeah, yeah, like, people on the lowest end of the totem pole or... Uh, just even people like Jonah who run away from what their calling is supposed to be, give like the worst sermon possible, and then a bunch of people change their lives. Like if you think want to think of a person giving a story and then like seeing some pretty big change to it happen, like terrible. Like Jonah, Jonah's supposed to go to like Asia, right? Or like I want to say he's trying to go to he's supposed to go to Iraq, is where God's supposed to send him. So he heads off to Spain because he doesn't want to go there yeah gets his whole whale story big fish story whatever you want to call it it's really not that important if we shouldn't really be arguing about that but he goes there he basically tells the people of Nineveh you're all terrible god wants you to repent this is what you need to do and they do it and he goes and sulks about it cuz he doesn't like them <laughs> <laughs> like the worst like intentions and possible and and god says and god has his message that he's going to get to these people yeah 
And that honestly leads well into our Bible verse for today, which is 1 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. And it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thanks for listening to this episode of the True Strength Podcast. If you enjoyed today's conversation, consider following us on Instagram at the True Strength Podcast so you don't miss future episodes. Until next time, goodbye and God bless.